Kave Zahedi is an American filmmaker, actor, and professor at the New School in New York. Kave holds a philosophy degree from Yale University and also attended film school at UCLA. If you've seen the movie Waking Life from Richard Linklater, which greatly inspired this podcast, by the way, you might recall the scene Holy Moments, where Kaveh goes on an existential rant about a potential anthology of film. But like we walk around like it's not holy. We walk around like, you know, there are some holy moments and there are all the other moments that are right. not holy, right? right? But like this moment's holy, right? And I feel like film can let us see that, you know, can just frame it so that we see like, ah, this moment, you know, holy. And it's like holy, 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 moment by moment. His work is known to be autobiographical, provocative and controversial. The glue tying his multiple creations together seems to be a commitment to radical honesty. A friend of mine recommended the show about the show to me, directed by Kave, a TV series in which each episode is about the making of the previous one. Since then, I've been investigating Kave's philosophical experiments, from his movie I Am a Sex Addict, which exposes his internal struggle dealing with sex addiction, to In the Bathtub of the World, where Kave records and compiles glimpses from his day, every day for a year, and his most recent podcast. Recording myself and everyone around me destroyed all my relationships, so I'm doing a daily audio journal instead where Kave records personal accounts of his day, again, every day, for a year. Together we unpack Kave's extraordinary worldview, from his commitment to honesty, to his artistic motivations. It just seems really clear to me that you don't have to look outside yourself to be political or to try to make the world a better place. I mean, you're always making it a better or worse place at every moment, no matter what you're doing. And that should be where the focus is. One's own actual sphere of influence versus some imaginary hypothetical sphere. So I just started doing art and making art about my life, just something I had some, a little bit of control over and some perspective on. I'm Carlota Getsch, and this is The Waking Youth Podcast. I like to start my interviews by grounding things in a little bit of personal history. And one of the things that I would like to know about you is... Spirituality seems to be something that is important to you and something that has changed your view of spirituality throughout time. So I'm curious how you would begin talking about the spiritual background of your childhood. Well, I was, I think, just naturally religious as a child. Um, I used to pray to God. I think I, I don't know if you've heard the 365 stories podcast partially but i i tell a story there about um i want to call it a miracle <laughs> that happened when i was about six where i i i had a prayer that was very specific and weird and it, it happened and i 
felt like there was some miracle making ability mm-hmm. that I had that didn't ever happen again. <laughs> but at a certain point, you know, I stopped believing in God and um, was an atheist for many years. Why? And then, why? Uh-huh. Um, and I just questioned, questioned it and, uh, I don't know. I just stopped. Mm-hmm. This was at what point, more or less, to situate myself? Maybe like from like 10 to 23. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, gradually, and then sort of militantly atheistic mm-hmm. in college, you know. And then psychedelics, you know, like I had experiences where it was obvious that I had been wrong (laughs) and, you know, I had direct experience of God. So I started believing again, but just in a very, I don't know, vague way. Like I I didn't, it was clear to me that God existed, but I didn't have a clear set of beliefs about it. Mm. And then I, um, I read A Course in Miracles, you know, that book. Have you read it? No, not yet. Uh But that really changed my life uh, more than anything ever has. And I I think I was a certain kind of person before that and a different person after that. Psychedelics also, like I was a different person before psychedelics and after. But then there was this further shift after Mm -hmm. the book. Can you talk a bit about the difference or it's too abstract? Even no, no, it's very, it's very concrete. Uh-huh. It's very concrete. Um, I believed in revenge until then. Like, I just believed in it. I thought uh, people should be punished. <laughs> and if they were punished for their misdeeds, that would encourage them to be better. And I don't know, like, it was, I believed in justice mm-hmm. and it seemed important to me. And I thought I was doing the right thing by being retributive when people did things that I thought were bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a friend, my best friend, and we had a, a fight over something stupid. And I was just irrationally angry mm-hmm. and a, a, a obsessively and um, unreasonably angry to the point that I was obsessing about just basically having like murder fantasies (laughs) and it was clearly taking too much of my mental space and I was becoming like a broken record Mm -hmm. about how awful this person was who was my best friend Mm -hmm. and then I read the book and I understood that revenge is a, a mistake I mean maybe the biggest mistake and that I was only hurting myself by being angry and that I needed to forgive my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and that forgiveness was actually the way to happiness and to, to God. And I just suddenly had a whole different way of thinking about what's important and what's true. And, you know, it was like a a revelation. And ever since then, like, I'm not... I mean, I'm still 
I'm still vengeful on some level and I'm still uh -huh. um, blamey, you know, like I still I'm judgmental, but I don't, I don't believe in it anymore. Like I don't align with it intellectually, which mm -hmm. I used to. Mm -hmm. So now it's just like a, a problem I have that I have to work through or work mm -hmm. on as opposed to something I'm, I'm behind. Like I'm not behind it anymore. So that's made a huge difference, both in my happiness quotient and in my kindness quotient and, and I just think, I don't know, I just think everything is better. And I still struggle with it. I'm still angry right now with a few people in my life who mm -hmm. I feel are doing things that are hurtful to people I care about. But I don't believe that my anger is, is helpful or right. And I'm trying to, like, not align with it. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to ask ask you this question. It's it's a theme that sometimes I sit with because like you I was a believer then there was a period that it was cool to not believe when I was mm -hmm. in high school mostly and then with transcendental experiences that I felt that direct access to something greater and also I I started being introduced to the more to some references of spiritual books or teachers that really influence the way that I think and perceive the world. But sometimes, you know, and you seem to have a very active intellectual life. And this is this, the intellectual pursuit seems to be something that is important to you. And particularly the philosophical pursuit of, you know, the answers to the big questions of life. And then there's spirituality. And I feel that sometimes, at least I question my spirituality because, because there's a limit to how far my intellect can claim to know, right? So sometimes there's this question, do I believe or do I just stay in the not knowing? You know, so I'm curious if for you, you really feel this faith and that you're held by that something greater. Or if it's something more, I'm open to the not knowing, but I stay in the mystery and I'm more agnostic in that sense. Yeah, I mean, um, I definitely have doubt. Mm. Um, and I don't have perfect faith. But, and I believe in not knowing is a good place to be, like I believe in not knowing. But with matters of faith, I, I do think that part of the spiritual path is a kind of, you know, what Kierkegaard would call the leap of faith, that there's mm -hmm. a... I mean, of course you can't know for sure anything, mm -hmm. and yet there's a, a level in which we do know. And if we embrace that knowing, I mean, it's like, I mean, what is happiness really than, other than just faith in happiness mm. or belief in happiness or belief that it's okay to be happy or belief that the happiness is real? You know, at some level, it's all just faith. So, I, I don't have a problem with faith intellectually at all. And I think intellect is a lower thing than faith. 
and that it usually gets us in trouble or like it like we have to give up our ideas about things mm. in the in the spiritual path and the giving up of what we think or know or our comfort around the grasping and the putting things in the boxes that we're comfortable with i think is part of the problem that's part of what keeps us from god or from happiness or from our true self mm -hmm. um our deeper self mm -hmm. so i don't i don't value intellect over spirituality at all and i don't think that they're incompatible but if there were a hierarchy i would choose non-intellect mm -hmm. okay cool a central question of this podcast or theme is this process of becoming and we focus particularly on the becoming an adult and what i'm curious to explore is a little bit of the thought process process or the faith process of your own journey of becoming and i know that you had an interest in uh, politics and activism you have shared this in many other places how at some point it became clear that you wanted to pursue or that you had this decision between i suppose a lot of things but mainly art and politics or activism and art and you pursued art so i'm just curious to explore this thought process of yours and in the end why you pursued one and not the other i mean there's a famous leonard cohen quote mm -hmm. where he says they sentenced me to 20 years of boredom for trying to change the system from within you know that song can you repeat it please they sentenced me to 20 years of boredom mm -hmm. for trying to change the system from within. Mm -hmm. And I think I just experienced politics, activism, that whole way of thinking about the world as very um, boring mm. and alienating and soul murdering. Like it's just on a very simple, immediate, almost physical level it was oppressive and uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, it didn't feel human. It didn't feel alive. It didn't feel good. And an art did. And I think that's a good measure of its value <laughs> or non-value. Um, and I found that activists tended to be really awful people, mm -hmm. you know, angry, judgmental, uh, self-righteous, um, unpleasant people. And I think I was the same way. Like I, I talked about loving humanity, but my interactions with people were not loving. Mm -hmm. So I just think I found that world just off-putting. Yeah. And also it's so obvious to me that like every moment is political. I mean, there's always a a choice one is making to be conscious or unconscious or kind or unkind or 
caring or not caring mm-hmm. and how to prioritize one's needs versus other people's needs in any moment is always like a an ethical dilemma. Mm-hmm. Like every moment is an ethical dilemma. So it just seems really clear to me that you don't have to look outside yourself to be political or to try to make the world a better place. I mean, you're always making it a better or worse place at every moment, no matter what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And that should be where the focus is. One's own actual sphere of influence versus some imaginary hypothetical sphere. So I just started doing art and making art about my life, just something I had some a little bit of control over and some perspective on. And, you know, I have nothing to say about, I don't know, apartheid <laughs> or, you know, the war in Ukraine. I mean, it seems awful, but really I know nothing about it and I don't know how to help. Mm-hmm. But I do know that I have to pick my kids up at a certain time from my ex-wife and they have certain needs and I can actually make a difference Mm -hmm. in their lives. So really it's kind of that simple. Mm -hmm. And the first medium was film? Yeah. Why? I mean, no, no, it was painting. Okay. Yeah. So can you walk me through that decision of, mediums which mediums to focus on well it was painting uh, uh-huh. and i really love painting I, i find it very um calming and kind of um meditative mm-hmm. and and spiritualizing looks like music is film i don't think is i mean i think film is very hard to do in a meditative way mm-hmm. um i think it can be done but I haven't mastered that at all, but it was really more of an idea that film was a way to integrate politics and and art more than painting would or music would. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I started making, you know, political films and then, you know, it morphed over time into personal films because of the things we just talked about. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious about something that I've heard you mention the function of form in film and you've talked about one of your mentors Jean-Luc Godard I'm this is obvious or not obvious but this becomes clear when you do some research and then watch some of your movies and and shows but I'm curious to hear from your perspective how do you think or How do you attempt to challenge the form and what's the intention? What are you trying to achieve and in what way do you think you're challenging the form? Yeah, it's a, it's a hard question to answer, uh-huh. um, but a good one. I mean, I think I had this experience where I made a film that I thought was really good and I showed it to my film teacher mm-hmm. and, he, and he said, it's like a commercial. And I was offended. And I didn't understand why he was saying that. And that's sort of what my my anger or frustration at that sort of is what compelled me to to read the book I was supposed to read in class about Godard. And then I sort of understood what he what he was saying. 
but I think that the world that we live in, our culture, like it has certain forms. You know, I mean, earlier we were talking about there's a form of like breathing to mm. center. That's a form, uh-huh. and it pre it pre exists us. Like it's a form that you were you were taught, that I was taught, that we were given, and you know you could say it's a good form or a bad form, but it's a it's a it's a ritual or a form. It's like a it's a way of doing it, and and you can accept it or you can reject it or you can tweak it, but it has a certain effect, and. It's a technology in a way. It's a technology for raising your consciousness, let's say. Mm. But it also has limits in the directions in which it raises your consciousness or the ways in which it raises your consciousness versus other ways. And cinema is a very rich language with a rich history. And it has implications. There's a worldview. There's a worldview we all inherit in the world. And there are competing worldviews. There's like a religious worldview. There's a scientific worldview. And I think most of us inhabit a scientific worldview. It's materialistic. Matter is real. Spirit, maybe not. You know, and then there are, you know, other beliefs thrown in there. But basically, most people don't believe in fate. They don't, they, they believe in that things are random. Mm. Uh, the idea of evolution is that it's not really moving towards any transcendental goal it's just kind of happened because that worked out and we live our lives based on these kind of received ideas that people share you know kind of a consensus reality of what's going on and what things mean and even ethical things like what's the right thing to do in a situation i mean i'm constantly brought up against this difference i have with most people which is they have a certain notion of ethics that is different than mine, or mm-hmm. I disagree with, and they just a lot of people disapprove of my my filmmaking, for example, because they think it's unethical. Because um, you know, and they say things like, "Oh, you should never hurt people," and to me, that's an absurd statement for all kinds of reasons. Mm-hmm. But there's a kind of assumption that is shared, and really, what it usually means is try not to hurt anybody overtly and right away. Mm. <laughs> Maybe let the hurt happen later and let it happen sort of subterraneanly. Like just don't don't upset anyone is mm. really what it comes to. And another way of saying it is just let's make sure everyone is comfortable and let's not rock the boat. Mm. It's kind of the consensus reality of Western society, let's say. And with that comes a whole way of acting, like I assume behaviors, etiquettes, even just like the kinds of things you say to somebody, mm-hmm. hi, how are you doing? You know, like, and I'm fine, how are you? I mean, that the lie of that, that everyone engages in immediately is part of the pre-existing form where we're basically saying, I'm going to follow these rules of etiquette, of interpersonal relating, and you are too. And we're just going to like agree that we're in the same language here and we're following the same rules. Mm-hmm. And I find that oppressive. And so I'm always sort of pushing against those rules. And in cinema, 
there is an ideology in the way cinematic language works, the way shots work, the way framing works, the way you frame an image, the way you light an image. Mm -hmm. There's a there are ideas embedded in that. And if you want to change the world, which I do, it seems like you have to also change the forms by which we think and communicate. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this was what Godard said. He said, you know, basically the forms of cinema are capitalistic. And if you want to create like a, for him, you know, Marxist or egalitarian forms, you have to, you know, rethink the language of cinema. Mm -hmm. And he just questions the language. Mm -hmm. And he does it, you know, beautifully. And um, he doesn't really give answers. He just like poses questions. You know, why should the camera be in front of you instead of behind you when you're mm. on a scene? Mm -hmm. You know, there are reasons why. It's more interesting. <laughs> and you can see more of the person's soul. But it's also interesting to not see their face and to see their hands or something. Mm -hmm. And what is that? How does that inflect the meaning of the scene? So... I just feel like if you're trying to find a different way of being in the world, you have to find a different way of expressing the world and who who you are, what life is here for. And mm. I'm just always looking for that. You, you, your question, the hard part of your question was how how am I doing that exactly? And it's hard to answer because... Um, a lot of it's intuitive mm -hmm. and um, a lot of it is maybe not even good or correct. But I think by just being honest, I mean, honesty for me is my version of morality. Mm -hmm. And I think that we don't know what anything is for or what it will lead to. But I think we do know what's true for us. Mm. And if we hew to what's true for us, the right thing will happen because it'll be from truth. Whereas now we usually don't, most of us don't say what's true for us. And instead we think about what we think is should happen or should be, or what result we want. Mm -hmm. And the results usually is we don't get the result we want and we don't do what's true. And people are together who shouldn't be together. You know, all kinds of neuroses happen that don't need to. And I think if everyone was just more honest, <laughs> you know, everyone would be a lot happier. Yeah. Uh, and I think people would learn more and they would grow more. And most of etiquette and kindness is just preventing people from growing. It's just all to slow down spiritual growth, really. Mm. Um, and I think honesty speeds it up. So I think my main cinematic trope is just that. It's just like honesty. And for me, a lot of that has to do with breaking the frame mm -hmm. and saying the thing that you aren't supposed to say in any given moment, both within the shot and outside the shot, and just constantly breaking, breaking the established thing that you would expect with what is truer and realer and that people can relate to because you're not alone in feeling these ways mm -hmm. 
So it's hard to put my finger on it or describe it well. But if you watch my films, that's sort of, I think, a process of surprising you with a level of honesty that you didn't expect and undermining their own authority and constantly adding complexity to any ethical question. And really just, they're about ethics. They're really just questioning prevailing ethics is mm-hmm. really what they're doing at every mm-hmm. turn. I think that's really the, the main subject of those. And also they're all about acceptance. I mean, I think they're all about just accepting what's real mm-hmm. versus what is considered good or mm-hmm. virtuous or mm-hmm. ideal. You know, you're talking about um, the resistance that you have about this etiquette and kindness that feels artificial. Um, What I feel and also what I'm trying to do even with this podcast is to search for that honesty, but also, yes, search for that honesty because I think that... um, it's not always obvious what is true to you. It, 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 it takes inner work and it takes courage. And it's a process to even to know. Once you find the voice that is most truthful, you know that it's, that's your core truth and longing, but it takes time and I don't think it's immediate for everyone. Mm. And so, you know, my question to you uh, is was this connection to your truth always accessible or was there a moment that it awakened for you? Mm-hmm. Well, well, neither of those. Okay. Um, it, it was not always accessible, mm-hmm. nor was there a moment. It was gradual. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I, I think you're right. I think all of us, it takes time to find what that is. And I think we find it through suffering, like Mm. certain things create suffering. And we're Mm -hmm. like, okay, well, that's not it, I guess, (laughs) you know? And I remember when I was in 10th grade, I really wanted to be popular because I hadn't been popular before. And so I tried to put on an act, a mask, a a persona that I thought would make me more popular and it didn't work. And I felt even more alone and stupid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that experience of trying to be someone else to be, to gain approval, I think it's a very common kind of teenage thing to do. But, you know, I learned from it. Like, I, I was like, okay, well, that's not, that's not the answer. And then you find, you know, something that feels more true to you and you just keep doing that and you keep changing too. Yeah. So it's never like you, you got it. Like, okay, now this is who I am. It's just like, at best, this is who I am right this second. Mm-hmm. And if I can just be true to that, it'll take me to the next second, the next second. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is. It's hard. And it it does take time and, and consciousness. You know, I'm doing this podcast, as you know, this daily podcast. And it's been, I mean, one thing I like about it is just, it's, it's forcing me to grow in all kinds of ways that, I hadn't been forced to grow before. And one is, it's not that good. <laughs> and that's growthful for me. To In what sense like, that it's not that good? 
in terms of I mean, the audio quality or the the concept? No, mm. uh, just my performance or my my mm. honesty levels aren't always that high. Okay, and you know, like I I'm not I'm not as spiritual as I would like to be. I'm not as conscious as I would like to be, and you know, I usually when I make work, I, I have a lot of time to sort of get it right. You know, I can, I can redo it. I can just, and so the, the image of myself that I can sort of put out there is a little bit better than I am, mm. you know, seem a little smarter than I am a little, <laughs> whatever, but that's all sort of like, um, you know, I'm burnishing my image and it's a little bit, you know, dishonest, but the podcast I really can't do that. It comes out every day. I just record it on the fly. And I can't really make it better than I am. It's just, it's really just like, yeah, it's just, it's just more honest. You know, it's just like, it's more human. It's more flawed. Yeah. And I've sort of been able to stand myself because I've been able to sort of put out this slightly superior version of myself into the world. And I could live with that, but it's a challenge for me to live with, with this lower version of myself. Someone said to me recently, like, uh, the word on the street was that my, my recent work isn't as good as my older work, you know, which has always been my, my fear mm -hmm. <laughs> is that, you know, diminishment in quality. Mm -hmm. Um, but that was also like a good growthful thing to hear and to accept that, you know, Okay, fine. <laughs> People are less impressed. That's good, I think. Also, you know, having to put it out every day, I mean, it's part of the same issue, but, you know, I'm always, I really like solving problems or I like making puzzles, I guess. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a new problem for me, like this podcast. I've never done this, I've never had this particular set of problems. And it took me a while like all, all problems take a while to figure out. Mm -hmm. Took me a while to figure out how to do it and to find like the inner peace or the inner clarity or the inner, just a moment to like tune in to what am I feeling right now at a deeper level? Because for a while, I don't know how much of the podcast you've listened to, but I was just being very superficial with it. I was just like, I'm going to the store, I'm hungry, here's what's going on, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I thought there was a certain charm in just letting the moment have its vibrational frequency. And there is, but at a certain point, it's like one needs more from a work of art or from, you know, like if you're going to ask people to listen to something, you have to give them a little more than just that. And so to try to like, just dig deeper, you know, it's forced me to do that. And I don't always succeed of digging deeply. Mm -hmm. And for example, the last few days I've been having this, you know, crisis, mental health crisis for my girlfriend has been going through and I've had very little time or wherewithal to process it deeply. Mm -hmm. So it's just very superficial in a way, but that's okay. I think, I mean, that's, that's part of it. That's the best I can do and that's fine, but it's growthful is all I'm trying to say. Like, it's yeah. like, it's good to fail. It's good to find yourself inadequate. Um, mm -hmm. It's good to be able to live with yourself 
being inadequate and failing. And that's that's always been a struggle for me personally. Yeah. As we wrap up, what words would you say to, I mean, we can put it as young person or just someone who is sitting with this question. It's not necessarily about the age, but someone who is curious about the possibility of embracing art as a way of life versus at some level keeping this keeping art as a hobby but going um conforming for something more conventional what would you say to them and if this the question is clear to you you mean uh to try to try to make one's money doing art versus making one's money doing something else yeah i mean it's it, it's related to the money it's related to you know the way that you speak it's very clear that your life is material for what you do professionally um and so i'm personally sitting with this question now and i know that many people who listen to this are too if you have artistic curiosities or even spiritual curiosities and you could also see yourself doing something that is a little bit more corporate or more of a not necessarily artistic occupation so that's part of it and then you know the precarity of the the financial situation you will be in because that's part of the decision right so how what would you say to this person to understand internally what what to do or how to th how to think about or how to experience this question that's a hard question also um, <laughs> and, and an important one i mean on the one hand people need to do what they need to do to survive and Everyone has different abilities, limits, allergies, and you do what you can do. I don't think there's anything, there's no wrong thing to do. It really has to do with what feels okay to you. At the same time, you know, Joseph Campbell, who I really love and admire, used to always say, you know, follow your bliss. And this idea that if you follow your bliss, it's going to take you somewhere good. It's going to support you. I, I believe in that. That's like a, an article of faith, but I believe in that. I think if you're doing something you love, the love energy will accumulate and grow. And if you're doing something you hate, yeah. that will accumulate and grow. You know, whatever, whatever energy you're putting out is going to increase and i think doing a job that you hate is a horrible way to live and i think everybody needs to find something that they can stand and hopefully even enjoy mm -hmm. and you know it can be anything i mean but i just have to find a way to enjoy it and you know i've i've tried to do jobs that i that i couldn't stand and You know, I would just quit them after a day or whatever. For example? And I, and I had a job once as a PA on a set, and mm -hmm. it was so horrible to me to 
be following orders for a, a film that was idiotic. It was just like untenable. <laughs> and then I had a job Xeroxing papers for marketing analyses of audiences in different cities for dumb TV shows. And I couldn't do that for more than a day. Mm -hmm. I had a job um, bringing cables to different classrooms at a university. And I don't know, it doesn't sound so bad, but it was. <laughs> and, you know, I found teaching is something that I can, I can feel okay about. But someone else might find teaching really, you know, soul murdering and yeah. might, might enjoy, mm -hmm. you know, delivering cables. I do think art is a spiritual path. I do think it's a different path than spirituality as a path. And I do think it's my path. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't think it's the only path or the right path. It's just, it's one way to move towards God. I'm not sure it's the fastest way, <laughs> but it's, it's a way. It's, mm -hmm. it's the way I'm doing it. And, you know, it has its own, its own limits, you know, like it's very hard to make art without ego and to find uh, the egoless place from which to do it and to both have like clarity and vision, but no ego is tricky. Mm -hmm. uh, and most, most art making is about ego and it's about glory. Most of mine is. And yet there's something in it that is also transcends that. And I think, you know, you can also just try to be egoless, but you know, the spiritual path is a very ego-filled path too often. And one of the problems with spirituality is most people who practice it are unbearable. <laughs> you know, the amount of ego and arrogance and phoniness is just, you know, nauseating. Um, so, you know, that's also problematic and tricky. But I do believe that a commitment to an ideal, an artistic ideal, is inherently spiritualizing, even if only through failure and rejection, which is always, I think, growthful and spiritualizing. Mm -hmm. If you could speak across time, what words would you say to your 20-year-old self figuring it out? I don't know, I guess... There will be more suffering. Than you realize. Or want. And. That's okay. It's all. For the sake of. Greater. Joy in the end. Thank you, Kave. Sure. It's been nice talking to you. Kave Zahedi is an American filmmaker, actor, and professor at the New School in New York. You can find more about his work, including I Am a Sex Addict and his most recent podcast, Recording Myself and Everyone Around Me Destroyed All My Relationships So I'm Doing a Daily Audio Journal Instead, on the description of this episode. Waking Youth is an independent podcast production that you can find more about at wakingyouth.substack.com. 
Our theme music is composed and produced by Carlos Sierra, who also edits our episodes, and I'm Carlota Gitch. If you like this episode, I kindly ask you to share it with someone you think would appreciate it. Before you go, thank you for listening, and talk to you next month. Ciao!